Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. I want to start off this sermon by asking a question. Have you ever been financially betrayed by someone in this room? If so, point them out right now. Don't, no, sorry, not literal pointing over there. But we're going to be talking about financial betrayal, which is something I hope you never experience, but it is something that Jesus experienced by one of his very own apprentices, his disciple named Judas. Judas had been with him for years and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, which is estimated to be about five weeks worth of money. Let's read about it in the scriptures, Matthew 27, verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Pretty intense scripture. Judas had heard the best sermons of Jesus. Judas had seen miracles, raising up people to walk, seeing the blind, being able to see again. Jesus had spoken the most eloquent sermons that humanity has ever experienced. Judas experienced the beauty of Jesus firsthand year after year after year and then betrayed him over 30 pieces of silver. Sometimes I wonder, how could you do that? I would kill for that experience, Judas. I wish I could be with Jesus. I would never do that. But today, I want to propose that many of us financially betray Jesus all the time. I've been thinking about this idea of betraying people over money, especially as the world has really been consumed with something called Squid Games. Have you heard of this show? In fact, Netflix says they made about $900 million from this show. Billions of views with all the content on YouTube and on Netflix. It's won a lot of records. And it's about these 400 competitors who are experiencing poverty and security. They're really down on life. And so they're looking for an escape plan. And these wealthy people provide an opportunity for people to win money by betraying one another. There's over 400 competitors, but only one can get the full amount of money. And they give them kids games that if you win, you advance to the next round. But if you lose, you die. And so it's a survival of the fittest. And this, I feel like, is a commentary on many of us living in society. We are taught that we need to run after finances, sometimes at the expense of others, sometimes at the expense of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know what it's like to betray people in Korea. Oh, Trust me. Amritha and I, we spent some time living in Korea, and we uh, saw a group of people that were doing something crazy. They would write on a sign, free hugs, 
And out of the kindness of the heart, they would give hugs. Have you ever seen those signs? Free hugs. It was like humanity at its best. Well, we thought we could make some money off of it. We saw people doing that, and we decided to make signs that say 1,001 hugs, which is the equivalent to of a dollar. <laughs> and so we will give you a hug, but you got to pay us. And we try to make more noise and more music, make ours more exciting. And so pretty soon they forgot about the free hug people <laughs> and paid us for our hugs. Glory to God. And so you can see Amritha there trying to persuade someone to pay for a hug. Uh, show the next picture. That was what I used to look like. Don't judge me. You can't, you can't spell Pradeepin without deep V. <laughs> Don't judge me. It was a phase, but this person wrote on the Facebook comment, great business. Let's do this again the next weekend. <laughs> we were just betraying people left and right, making some money, exploiting people's longing for a hug to make a quick one. Betrayal in Korea. But the Lord forgives, amen. He redeems us, amen. Even that v-neck, he redeems all things. Why do we betray Jesus? Why do we betray people for money? It's because our culture teaches us money is the cure-all. You can have great health care if you have enough money. You can have great influence if you have enough money. You can be a politician if you have enough money. If you are single, just, I can't get married until I make this much money. I can't have kids until I make this much money, right? We're taught that money is the gate by we accomplish most of life goals. Money is a place that we find security. So we are willing to exchange our time, our life for more money. We're willing to neglect our family for jobs so that we can get more money. We're willing to neglect the church for jobs so that we can get more money because money is the cure-all for humanity's illness, right? When there's trauma or pain or tension in the world, Let's just throw more money at it, and it will solve all things. But as a preacher, as someone who has seen that money doesn't always satisfy, I have learned that only Jesus Christ can deliver what money promises. Jesus is the hope for humanity. Can I get a better amen? That Jesus truly is the only one who can deliver all the goodness that money promises. Because I don't know if you're like me. We live in a pretty wealthy area. But I know some depressed rich people. I know some wealthy people who have, still have problems in their family. I know some wealthy people who feel like they don't have purpose. It's because only Jesus is where we find the true satisfaction for life. And this is really important for us to understand. Because many people, especially in our culture as Americans, especially living in a wealthy area, we are deceived by money like Judas was. And excuse me if I accidentally say Judas for Jesus, because they are very similar. <laughs> so don't think I'm trying to worship Judas. You need to surrender to Judas. No, Jesus. First Timothy 6 is this, but people who long to be rich. Anybody here long to be rich? <laughs> but people who long to be rich fall into temptation. You sinners? And they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction, like Judas. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Just like Judas. I think that's why Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. He talks about money quite a bit. And if you're like, why are you talking about money, preacher? Why are you talking about money, pastor? Well, we're a church, this is going to sound crazy, that talks about the things Jesus talks about. And Jesus talks about money. Like, look at this. This isn't just relaxed and chill. Jesus is pretty aggressive. He makes you choose. He makes this a dichotomy. He says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's saying you can't serve both at the same time at all. Now, let's ask a crazy question. Do you serve money 1% with your life? Do you serve money 5% of your life? Do you serve money 30? When you look at your attention, your focus, where you find security, what you're hoping for, honestly, what are you serving more of, Jesus or money? And there's only one answer. It's either 0% or 100%. Because Jesus says you cannot serve both. There is no percentage. It's all or nothing. And if we're serious... Especially in Bellevue, this should be a convicting message in King County because I feel like the God, lowercase g, of this region is money. I mean, we live our lives for this, and Jesus has some strong words for this. So would you betray Jesus for money like Judas? That's the question we have to ask, and I I think we do. You want an example? Well, let's read Malachi 3. It also has some strong language. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But now, literally in real time, the scripture is predicting what we're thinking. In what way have we robbed you? Scripture says, in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. The house of the Lord, the house of God. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So the scripture, again, it's using strong languages. These are not my words. This is the scripture. This is that we rob God when we're not contributing our tithes and our offerings to the house of God. So what are tithes? Tithe in this language literally means tenth. It means bringing a tenth of your finances, a tenth of your increase, a tenth of what you produce, bringing that. And what is an offering? That's your financial giving, your gifts above that 10% that go to things like taking care of the poor, nonprofits. But we give first in tithes to the house of the Lord according to the scripture. And if we don't, we are robbing God. In other words, we are betraying Jesus for finances. And you're thinking, I can see it by the look on your faces. Pradeepin, you're an idiot. That's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament believer. I would tithe if Jesus said to tithe. Well, why don't we look at Matthew 23, 23. These are the words of Jesus. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now read this next part with me. You should tithe. Yes! Look at someone next to you. 
Look them right in the eye. Let's say that part again. You should tithe. Yes. Now look at that person that doesn't want you to look at them. Let's say it again. You should tithe. Yes. But do not neglect the more important things. You know, I remember one time Amrita's car broke down. I'm going to talk about Amrita a lot today. And this was before we were dating. And she said, ah, my car has been working all this time. I don't know why it's not working. And I said, well, are you tithing? And she began to cry. She said, I'm so sorry. I was late to service last week. And I, did, I missed the offering bucket. I didn't, I didn't tithe. And so now the Lord is punishing me. And so I share that story to share. This is not a spiritual manipulation message. Kalos Church is doing great financially. I am not trying to manipulate you to thinking that you're only blessed if you're wealthy or you're only blessed if you're poor. Because spirituality does not equal poverty. And spirituality does not equal financial wealth. It doesn't. That's not the equation here. You can tithe and still experience sickness. You can tithe and still not experience great wealth. It's not a, a, a measure of like what kind of blessings you get from the Lord or not. But what I am concerned about is the state of your soul, the state of your heart. Because the reality is Jesus does not need your money, but he desperately wants your heart. And Jesus says things like, your heart follows your treasure. In other words, your heart follows what you invest in. If you invest in a weird stock or a cryptocurrency like a Shiba Inu coin, a Dogecoin, or something like that, suddenly you're interested in that stock and you follow it. Why? Because you've invested in it. If you're watching a football game, you might not care about football, but if someone says, hey, I want you to invest $10,000 in the winner of the loser of this game, you are interested in the outcome of that game. Can I get a good amen? Why? Because your heart naturally follows what you invest in. And Jesus, he doesn't need your money. Jesus, God, he is rich. He's created this whole earth. He's created everything. He owns the, he owns the Bitcoin on a thousand hills. God is rich, right? He's wealthy. He doesn't need your money. He's not like desperate without your meager finances. I mean, he's God, but he really wants your heart. He's really interested in what you give your heart to. And so let me phrase it like this, because I think money is important for us to understand, because there's a battle for our allegiance. Neither poverty nor prosperity make you godly, but making the decision to give up money for Jesus kills the temptation to give Jesus up for money. And so Judas gave up Jesus for money, and I don't want our allegiance here as a pastor to be devoted to anything less than Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Money is a wonderful tool, but it's a horrible master. It's a horrible God. And so give your life to Jesus. I want to read another beautiful, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture. And I want you to notice the dichotomy between Judas, one of the main characters in this real story, and a woman named Mary. And you're going to see that they both have similarities, but the main difference comes with how they treat finances when it comes to Jesus. In John 12, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. When Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It is worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bank, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that this should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So there's these three main characters. There's Jesus. He's reclining at the table at this party. It's kind of a thank you dinner, probably because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're like, thanks. <laughs> and I love that Jesus is reclining. He's hanging out, eating a good meal. And they're, they're uh, bombarded by this woman who walks in and shows Jesus this radical, generous hospitality. And in other passages, Jesus is talking to religious leaders who are at this party. And he says, hey, I walked in and you didn't greet me properly. I walked in, you didn't wash my feet. But then this woman right? She intrudes on this party, and she takes this spiked nard, right? And she breaks it open, this alabaster box. She breaks it open, and she begins to weep and wash the feet of Jesus with her tears and her hair and this alabaster ointment, the spiked nard from India. And this is crazy because this was worth a year's wages. Many speculate that this was probably her dowry. And a dowry is something you give to a man's family when you give your daughter to be married. So this was probably her retirement plan in this culture. She was saying, I have this dowry, and one day I'm going to find a husband. I'm going to give this as a gift to the family so that one day I can be married, and then I'll have security, I'll have this house, I'll have a retirement plan, I'll be secure for the rest of my life. But what does she do? She breaks open the alabaster box to worship Jesus, to wash his feet that was walking in the dirt of the day, where animals were on these paths, probably the dirt mixed in with animal poop, probably wasn't very glamorous or smell. But here, because she had been forgiven much, she loves Jesus. And she said, I, can, I can't help but sacrifice to honor this man who, who loves me, who knows me, who heals me, who guides me. And then the disciples, they said the practical thing, right? Especially Judas. What are you doing? Why are you wasting a year's worth of money on Jesus? This could have been given to the poor. And that feels very reasonable, right? But it reveals their hearts. They thought money spent on Jesus was a waste. Financial worship to Jesus was a waste. And I, I, I'm convicted by this because a lot of times we know how to worship Jesus like Judas did. Judas, he betrayed Jesus with a kiss, remember? He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And this woman, she, she kissed his feet. And they were very comfortable with public displays of affection. And like many of us are, we know how to worship God on Sunday mornings, we know how to lift up our hands and clap. We know how to do the right things, say the right things. We know how to publicly display our devotion, our affection to Jesus. But when it comes to finances, we're a lot less like this woman and a lot more like Judas. 
I mean, think about it. Are you someone who sings the praises of the Lord, but you're afraid to trust him with your finances? That puts you more in the Judas category than the Mary category. And so the disciples say, what are you doing? You need to stop this. And then Jesus, I love this, he defends the woman. And he says, why are you bothering this woman? Stop interrupting this woman. I mean, I mean, even in the American church, we love to interrupt women when they're trying to worship the Lord with all that they have. When it comes to the ministry, when it comes to the church, when it comes to their gifts and their leadership, we love to say, stop what you're doing. But Jesus, it says he defends her. Stop bothering her. And then he says, what she's doing is beautiful. What she's doing is beautiful. Don't stop her. Don't get in her way. It's not a waste to waste your life on Jesus. What she's doing is beautiful. Jesus thinks sacrificial giving is beautiful. And it's not about the amount. Jesus does not count the amount, but he does count the sacrifice. He knows your heart, and he desperately wants your heart. In fact, that's why Kalos Church is called Kalos Church. Kalos is the word beautiful in this passage. It's translated from the Greek word kalos to mean beautiful. In fact, that's why we have this logo. Believe it or not, that is not a pint of beer, as many people think. That's not what the logo is. It's supposed to be a hipster alabaster jar. A pint of nard. The original nard dog. A pint of nard, not a pint of beer. Because we want to sacrificially give our lives for Jesus, amen? We want to waste our lives for Jesus, we want him to have everything. What is that doing up there? <laughs> yes, waste my life for Jesus, not that waste of, <laughs> for one. <laughs> but I, I just think this is so beautiful because that, that fragrance, that sacrificial fragrance, it fills the room. It changes the atmosphere. And Jesus, he says that this woman leaves a great legacy that wherever this gospel is preached, people will tell this story. It was that beautiful to him. But when you investigate your soul, like really ask that question. When it comes to worshiping the Lord, are you worshiping more like Judas, public displays of affection without finance, or public displays of affection with your finance? When it comes to your trust, are you thinking, Lord, I can't, I can't give you my money. I just, I can't afford it. Well, this woman, she gave up her retirement plan for Jesus. She gave it all up. I, you know, we live in an expensive area. Don't get me wrong. And I know many of us have food insecurity. We have shelter insecurity. But I'm telling you what, only Jesus can deliver what money promises. Our hope, our security, our trust is not in a job. It's not in money. It's in Jesus. He will take care of us. He is worthy of our trust. It's not a waste to waste your life on Jesus because he wants to love you. He wants to protect you. He wants to be a husband for you. You can give him your dowry. He's worthy of your affection. He's worthy of your heart. He's worthy of your future. He's worthy of your trust, and he will not abandon you when you give it all for him. Amen? Because the reality is Judas regretted his decision and Jesus, he doesn't want to get your money. He desperately doesn't want money to get you. Because money, the love of money will lead you on a path of destruction. On your deathbed, you will not wish for more money. You will wish that you loved more. You will wish that you gave more. You will wish that you left a legacy that really, really mattered. It's so important. 
I love this quote by Joni Tata. It says, Love is extravagant in the price it is willing to pay, the time it is willing to give, the hardships it is willing to endure, and the strength it is willing to spend. Love never thinks in terms of how little, but always in terms of how much. Love gives, love knows, and love lasts. And it's so beautiful. God wants your heart. I remember when I first met Amrita's family and I was going through the plans and wanting to marry her, and I heard that she had a sister. And her sister's husband is very handy. He can build houses. And so when he wanted to get married to one of this family group member, started that sentence weird, but I ended it right. He built her a house with his hands. He built furniture. I am not able. <laughs> I wear deep V-necks. <laughs> and so I go, I can't compete with that. But you know what, Dan Miller? I can build your daughter a WordPress website. <laughs> and they accepted my offer. Because it wasn't about the amount. It was about the heart. Yeah. It was about the gesture. It was about doing what I can with what I have. And so when it comes to this story, man, it's so convicting. Are you more like Judas or more like Mary? You might be thinking, man, pretty been, this is scary. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I, I'm just like being overcome by a student debt right now. I don't know how we're going to pay the mortgage. I'm telling you what, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens you. Have you ever heard that scripture before? All things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. Well, let's, let's be real. The context of that is not finding the perfect parking spot. That's not the context. Let's read the context. It's financial. It's Philippians 4. Paul the Apostle gave it up all for the gospel. He writes in verse 11. There's going to be a name here that's hard to pronounce, so give me grace. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And here's that, that verse we love. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. And so this is Paul on a missionary tour, and he's actually fundraising money, finances, for church ministry. He says, as you know, the Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this, Burn. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. Come on, somebody. And I want you to remember the sweet-smelling sacrifice that the woman with the alabaster jar produced. And then he says this about this church who financially gave to him. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you what, when you give your life to the Lord, he takes care of you. 
When you spend time building the house of God, he builds your house. He's worthy of being trusted. And when we trust him, when we say, my heart, my life, my time, my talent, my treasure belongs to you. Oh, man, that crushing, it produces a sweet-smelling fragrance for the Lord that he's worthy of. Amen. Amy, our kids director, I remember when she first talked to us about being the kids director here at Kalos Church. She had a high-paying job in corporate America. It's the reason she moved here with Tori to Seattle. And she felt the Lord stirring her to give up that job and take a massive pay cut to be a kids director here at Kalos Church. But she broke the alabaster box. She said, Lord, my life is for you. My devotion is for you alone. She broke it and she said, there's no going back. You can have my retirement plan. You can have my life. I trust you. I'm so proud of that kind of generosity in the church. I remember when Zach and Becca Snyder, they were living in the Detroit area. Zach had just graduated from college. He got a job designing Corvettes as a young 20-something, and that's a big deal in Michigan. There were not a a lot of jobs like that in the area. He had his set, the retirement plan, the house, the property, the family. He was set on a course. They take care of their employees. But we said, hey, would you consider church planning with us? And Becca and Zach prayed, and they made the decision. You know what? We're going to waste our life for Jesus. They resigned from that job and moved across the nation to work for Kalos Church for free. Very free. (laughs) And they said, it's not a waste to waste our life on Jesus. Because he gave his life for me, I'll give my life for him. And that kind of dedication, I tell you what, it is a beautiful aroma to the Lord. Amen. And so I want to challenge you. Be more like Mary and less like Judas. Don't just worship the Lord with your, your public displays of affection, but with your private finances. It's a practical thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to consider two things. Number one, would you set up your automatic giving in tithes for Kalos Church or any other church, honestly? This isn't a money grab for Kalos. We're doing really well financially. But I want your heart to be devoted to the Lord. So I'm going to challenge you. Would you set up automatic tithing. And you can do that at our website at kalos.church giving. And number two, I want you to pray about giving to the legacy offering. That's why we have those pieces of white paper on your chair so that you can pray about it. We're not trying to give, have you give under compulsion. We're not trying to emotionally hype you up or manipulate you. So we're giving you a full month to think and pray and talk with your, your loved one about what you'd give so that we can give towards this building renovation project. So we can give towards women's shelters and food insecurity programs. That's, that's our heart. We have a vision for this region. And I'm just going to ask you would, you, would you pray about that? And would you ask the Lord to speak to you? Lord, what would you have me give? What would you have me give? And I just want to close with this story. This isn't just something that we are uh, preaching but not practicing. When we also, as a family, had an 11-month-old son and we moved from Michigan to to this area to start a church. We gave up finances in the form of a job. We paid all the expenses to move here. And when we were living here with our first child, not even a year old, our bank account went all the way down to $3,000. That money doesn't go very far in this region with rent and food and taking care of a baby. It was a real test of faith. But the Lord started to provide and 
provided. And we saw that amount go lower and lower. And I remember one day I got a call out of the blue. And I had $100,000 in student debt for my different schooling. And they said, we want to wipe out your debt for just a fraction of the price. And in one moment, as we sacrificed it all and said, Jesus, we trust you, my student debt was eliminated. I just want to let you know, you can trust Jesus. When you cast your cares on him, he takes care of you. When you cast your finances on him, he takes care of you. You can trust Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you care for our souls. Thank you so much that you don't want the love of money, this rat race of life, to be like squid games where we're killing friends and family, betraying our relationship with you all for money. Because, Lord, we know that you are a source far greater than money. Lord, you can get us out of darkness way better than money. You can bring us security more than money. And so, Lord, we want to worship you in the way that you want. We don't want to rob you. We want to be a beautiful fragrance that glorifies you. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. And amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.